at Las Vegas. It is the Super Sunday Night Edition of Heatwave Sports. I am Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com, joined tonight by Chris Wynn, and we have a two-hour show for you tonight going over everything in the world of the NFL. We had some insane games. I will tell you, look, uh, there are plenty of weeks, like the last two weeks where I went 7-0 and the last two weeks. There are plenty of weeks I'm going to tap myself on the back. There are plenty of weeks I'm going to tell you I knew what was going on. This was not one of those weeks. I lost my free play, now falling to 4-2 and two in the free plays. Uh, I, I was discombobulated all day. I, I'm telling you, this was a wild week. You always get one of these weeks during the NFL season where you seemingly go, okay, we just had a major shift in direction. We had a major shift in direction for many teams, meaning, all right, are we believing that this team is good? Hold on a second. Did you did you make me a believer this week? And then you go on the other end. Wait, 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 wait. Is that team actually bad? Did I overrate this team? So we're going to get into all that. We'll go over every single NFL game. We're going to look ahead as well. This is the first show looks ahead. We're going to look at next week's games, lines, what it should be. We'll get into it all. We're going to get into the Raiders, how important of a win that was for the Las Vegas Raiders, how important of a win it was emotionally, as well as on the stat sheet, which was massive. So we will get into the NFL. If we have time, we will get into the Rangers with an absolutely beautiful game pitched by Jordan Montgomery against Justin Verlander and the Astros, and also look at tomorrow's games in addition to that. We're not going to be able to talk college football tonight, unless, of course, you guys want to be a part of the show. You can hit me up at, at Tom Barton Sports over at Christian Wynn on the X. Yeah, that's what they're calling it now. No longer the tweet and the Twitter, but it's the X. Or give us a call, 876-1340, 876-1340. So let's buckle in and let's get going here, guys. First, let me bring on Chris Wynn. Chris, how was your day, man? I'm confused. I, I, I'm My mind's spinning. How are you? I'm doing great, Tommy. Good to to join you and of course uh, heatwave sports nation out there on this fine sunday which started out extremely early tom barton for us here on the west coast of course with that game in london between uh where the uh, ravens and titans went at it and then of course uh you know football wire to wire all day long of course you talked about game one of the american league championship series going down between uh the two teams in texas and uh, uh a, a point of interest too also for us here in vegas which was the WNBA Finals, Game 3, which was back in your neck of the woods, particularly at the Barclays Center there in Brooklyn as the New York Liberty get on the board in the series and got a win to extend the series there. So all kinds of stuff going on. Of course, we did have the also the PGA Tour event here, the Shriners Hospital for Children's Open here in Vegas, Tommy as well too, in which uh, uh, Kim was able to be a back-to-back champion there. So it was a Sunday. Tom Barton, as you know, yourself, along with Oglesby, Mateo, and the rest of the boys, it's always uh, a loaded-up weekend from a sports standpoint, and that's exactly what it was here in Vegas for this Sunday. Well, Chris, you know, we often call this the overreaction Sunday. It is the overreaction that everyone's going to have. It is uh, how do we capitalize on the overreaction. We talk a lot about overreactions. So let's get into the first game, which is the last game. And that is what we just witnessed between the Bills and the Giants. What we just saw between the Bills and the Giants, I think elicits some kind of overreaction, but I think it's a a valid overreaction. And that is that the Bills are once again out of sorts. 
I've been a Bills backer now for a couple of years. Okay, I, well, let's say let's say I, I I think I picked them to win the Super Bowl three years running, right? And I was big on them before that. As soon as they got Josh Allen, I was a, a big Allen supporter coming out of Wyoming. I, I mean, look, I have been on there. They're not my team, but I've been on the Bills bandwagon. So I have lived through it with my bank account. And I've lived through it uh, with my fantasy teams where I always have you know, seemingly Allen and Diggs. And I've lived through it just uh, being here and, and watching the ebbs and flow. And it seems like the Bills are perennial that team that has a bad stretch. And you go, uh, they have a bad game. You go, ah, they're going to bounce back in a huge way. You know, they're going to bounce back massive. Oh, it's a sacrificial lamb. Here we go. And then they drop a game that's inconceivable. They drop a game that makes no sense. They drop a game to Jacksonville at home, uh, you know, before they were Jacksonville. They drop, you know, terrible, crazy games. They drop a game to the Jets when they lose Aaron Rodgers, right? But this season feels a little bit different. And this uh, win, while it was a win, feels different than ever. The loss to the Jets exposed the Bills, I don't want to say on a prime time spotlight, but it certainly put a shining light on them. And that was a problem. Last week against Jacksonville, a lot of people kind of just chalked that up to London, right? All right, well, it's, it's London. It is what it is. Seemingly, that was a problem. And now struggling all night against the Giants in a game that, let's be honest, they should have lost. It's a problem. Now, if this was a game where a backup quarterback just, we, we couldn't account for him, and the Bills losing Milano and, and, and company, right? They lost two or three starters on the defense. You go, okay, I could see that, right? They lost uh, Tredavious White. Milano and White last week, all right, they gave up a bunch of points, no problem. But the defense was actually fine. The defense was perfectly okay, despite the Giants uh, picking up guys literally off their couch. If you saw Jason Pugh or Justin Pugh, say, off my couch. Um, so you could get down on the defense a little bit. But look, they did their job, nine points. Nine points is nine points. The problem that I'm concerned with is the Bills put up 14. The Bills put up 14 points here. The Bills lacked against the Jets. The Bills lacked against Jacksonville. The Bills' offense has really had, what, one bust-out game? And Diggs is doing his job, and Allen looks okay. You want more running, but I don't even know what to pinpoint the problem. So we go back and kind of ask here, Chris, is it valid to have an overreaction on the Bills, albeit after a win? I'd say it's absolutely valid to have an overreaction, but let's put all our chips on the table, Tom. Here's a deal where we thought this was going to be a Buffalo Bills blowout, and it turned into kind of a grind it out, right? Uh, knock them back and forth, sometimes sloppy as all get out type game that went down to the final play and an untimed down, where where the where the the ending was not decided yet until that happened. You had some kind of extraordinary circumstances that took place in this game in which you had the Bills, who I think the last time they were shut out in the first half was like four years ago against uh, against the New York Jets. Uh, when And that was a game when the Buffalo Bills rested uh, uh, Josh Allen, and it started after already having clinched a playoff berth. And uh, they end up having, what, those two first-half turnovers that Buffalo had when, you know, Gabe Davis loses that fumble, and then you got that Josh Allen interception. And that led to the Giants pulling ahead on that Gano field goal, uh, in which he hit two of those field goals there in the first half, the 29-yarder the yarder and then the 43-yarder. And then, of course, we saw what happened there at the end of the half where 
it was kind of inexplicable, right, that the Giants were not able to get any points there at the end of the half. Tommy Barton, talk to me. How the hell are you not throwing the football twice there at the end of the second half instead of trying to run the ball up the middle? Now, look, I guess your rationale is that we're going to run the ball up here because we feel like we're good enough to run the football and get a touchdown there. I mean, I guess that's the rationale. But you've got two plays where you could actually, you know, you would have had two plays to throw the football there. And what ends up happening is the worst case scenario where you get no points out of that in the first half. Now, look, I mean, you can say you can you can play Monday morning quarterback and say, well, you know, uh, does that really impact the end of the game? Well, yeah, it did. OK. And then we come down to the final play where they have an opportunity. And look, I, I, people can also say you're on the one and a half yard line. Why don't you run the football there with, with, uh, with you know, Saquon Barkley or, you know, or 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 even Tyrod Taylor. And instead, I think they had a solid play where you're going to your guy, you know, your big tight end, who you expect to be able to make a play there. And unfortunately, obviously, for the Giants, the call is not made on a pass interference. It was a pass interference. Was it blatant? Uh, maybe not blatant, but it was pass interference, and it wasn't called. And, uh, and so, therefore, that's the end of the game, and Buffalo escapes with a victory. So to circle back to your point and your take, Absolutely. You look at this if you're the Buffalo Bills and you say, "Woo!" You take a deep breath and you say you're four and two, and you're fortunate to get that win. And maybe for teams looking to win a win a Super Bowl, you maybe you have to have some victories like this throughout the regular season. But that was in no way, shape, or form the way the Buffalo Bills thought that was going to play out in this matchup against the New York Giants. And of course, a lot of people that went to the window, Tommy Barton that uh, bet this football game did not have expectations that this was going to be the kind of outcome that transpired between these two teams either. Yeah. I, I mean, look, you know, I know your free pick was the Buffalo bills. I had, uh, I, I, I had the over. Um, I thought that Buffalo in my write-up to my members, uh, like I said, look, I'm going to tell you about the seven and oh, I had the last two weeks. I'm going to tell you about my losses in my write-up, Chris. I said, Buffalo's going to score 40. You know, I mean, to me, that, that's what it was. The over-under uh, for Buffalo team total tonight was 31 and a half. 31 and a half, yeah. right? I mean, as that line continued to go up, it opened up during the week at 13, went off at 16. There's no conceivable way that this game should have been this close. You can tell me about the layover and the hangover coming back from London. All right, fine. But you're at home. It's Orchard Park. You're against a backup line let's just say the entire line's backups right i mean it's really what it is okay they're, they're down three or four offensive linemen and a backup quarterback he's an experienced guy but a backup quarterback a less than 100 percent saquon barkley and a defense that's been absolutely abused 28 points to arizona in the first i mean they've been abused there's no excuse and i'm looking at josh allen as you know what you went from i think super bowl favorite after that miami win super bowl favorite and mvp favorite to the last two weeks, I'm going, it's the same old Bills. You'll make the playoffs. You'll likely win a, 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 the East, although Miami's right there. Uh, and you'll go out meekly in the playoffs. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm upset to say it. I'm upset saying this, but I've watched this over and over. I've watched it continuously. In the preseason, I went back to the well. I said, this is going to be the year Buffalo finally stays healthy on defense. This is going to be the year that they don't let their guard down. They don't lose and lose focus to bad teams. 
They didn't lose today, okay? They didn't lose, and we're harping on them for not losing, but they didn't lose. But it almost is like you might as well have because that's how I came out of this game. And it's a two-game stretch, and all you Buffalo Bills fans, don't sit back and turn around to me and tell me, well, you know what, uh, you know, the, the London thing. No, no, no. You look bad against the Jets. You look real good against the Raiders, who are awful. Sorry, Raider fans. The Commanders, who are terrible. And the Dolphins, who have no defense. So what we've learned is if you play a modicum on defense, if you play this much defense like the Jets did, like the Giants did tonight, and like Jacksonville did, you're in the game against Buffalo. The Buffalo offense is broken. And you could look back and tell me how, how talented Diggs is. Yes, he is. And Josh Allen is talented. And, you know, listen, Dalvin Cook's little brother, James Cook, is making a name for himself, right? Let's let's start talking about who's next. Who's the secondary receiver? Are we talking Gabe Davis? Come on, right? And, and, and we really have to start to look at how much of an impact was Brian Dable leaving, uh, losing, leaving with that. Hey, he went to the Giants, right? He goes to the Giants, wins coach of the year. That'll tell you what kind of coach he is. And now you look at Josh Allen, he's back to kind of the gunslinging ways. I'm not putting this loss on Josh Allen at all. What I'm saying is it it just looked out of sorts. You know, there's a great line of one of my favorite movies, Tin Cup, and he said, I feel like it unfolded launch head. That's what this looked like. And they got out with a win. The Bills move on. That's fine. But it's seemingly like the typical same old Bills. What about the Giants side of thing here, Chris? Uh, you know, the Giants get a new quarterback, um, an experienced guy. They get Saquon back. They run real well. They look pretty good. You know, the Giants are 1-5. Their season's virtually over. But I'm looking at the Giants at home next week against Washington. And I'm going, after what I just saw, I got to kind of lean the Giants, don't you? Well, here's the deal, Tommy. If there's something as, as, as not having a terrible loss, that's what this was for the New York Giants. You pointed out this is a team that is out of contention. They are going nowhere fast. They're sitting at 1-5 right now. But, you know, Tyrod Taylor had a half-decent game. He threw for, you know, 200 on the dot, uh, 24-36. You saw, you mentioned uh, Barkley. They are able to run the football a little bit. With him, 24 carries, 93 yards in his first game back after missing, you know, the last three with that ankle injury. And, oh, by the way, Tommy Barton, the Giants began the day missing two of their key offensive line guys, right? Andrew Thomas and, uh, and John Smith both were out. So they end up with going Yuzuda and, of course, you know, Justin Pugh moving to uh, left tackle, he talked about, of course, you know, coming off the couch or whatever, but uh, he, he just been signed to the, you know, the practice squad this week and was playing his first game since uh, tearing a ligament with Arizona last year. So, I mean, all things being considered, um, I mean, I'm, yeah, you're, you're not going to sit back as a Giants fan and take any solace that you just lost to the, to the Buffalo Bills. But I got to tell you, Tommy, I, I was having flashbacks as a, as a young kid, and you were just a little bit younger back in 1989, 1990, when I saw those New York Giants uniforms out there, right, with the Giants, the full Giants spelling out on the helmet and seeing that gear and thinking, oh, you know what, they're playing like they're actually the 1990 Giants and like they have a shot in this matchup against the Buffalo Bills. So uh, uh, this was not how it was supposed to play out in this game this was and, and tommy you know the deal right i mean this is the kind of game where vegas cleans up because sharps smart people handicappers people that know football i don't care what you want to describe us as when i say us those of us that were on buffalo in this game and uh whether it was on the money line or minus the 15 we're thinking that this was going to be some type of blowout and then 
what happens happens and the Giants stay in the football game, it was absolutely a surprise, my friend. And, uh, yeah, and, and look, when it comes as far as the Buffalo Bills are concerned, look, I don't know if we're going to find out a whole lot more about the Bills, right? I mean, they're sitting four and two. They're not running into any uh, buzzsaw next week when they uh, when they head up to uh, Foxborough and take on the Patriots. So uh, it was. I, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a solid effort, is what I'll say, by the New York Giants in this game, despite the fact that they took the L. Yeah, let's talk about that game. Buffalo uh, now travels uh, to Bill Parcells, a, a tough place for them to play. It's a division rivalry game. It's a good defense, right, despite uh, what, what New England's look like offensively. Well, you know what? Look, the, the Bills can't seem to score. You, you look at that game and you automatically have to start saying, okay, look, I think the Bills are going to win, right? But do you have any confidence laying points with the Bills next week? You know, I look at oftentimes the look-ahead line, right? And so I make my lines before the look-ahead lines. And I said to myself, look, this is going to be a touchdown. It's eight and a half, and it'll be nine by the morning. Nine! You feel comfortable laying nine with the Bills? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's going to be something where I'll be trying to make all kinds of excuses in my head, and Tommy, you probably will too, right? And uh, you and you and Tim, when you do banter, and when we, when we banter about on our electrifying text message threads, right, Tommy Barton, throughout the week, I'm sure all of us are going to be trying to make excuses as to why the Bills will try to, quote-unquote, right the ship after a five-point win against a team like the Giants and come out, you know, blazing against their division rivals in New England. But I just don't think it's going to be the case. I, to, to the point that you made, and by the way, you made this point uh, correctly a couple of times on the show, multiple, so that it just seems like, doesn't it, Tommy, that when the Patriots play the Bills, somehow it's going to end up a seven-point game or a three-point game or a four-point game. It just seems like that's what's going to happen, regardless of how much better either one of these teams are in this matchup. So I would anticipate that that's going to be the case once again. And uh, and look, we saw we, we were we, we saw some evidence of that today, as far as the doing the Patriots concerned against against the. Uh, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders, who you correctly pointed out earlier at the top of the show, it's not like the Raiders are a good football team. So, but from a defensive standpoint, the Patriots have something to lean on, and that's exactly what they're going to do, I think, against the Buffalo Bills next week. All right, let's move on to uh, the, the other games. We'll, we'll stick with the afternoon games. We've mentioned them a couple of times. Let's talk about that Raiders game, right? Raiders take on the Patriots. Um, Raiders get a win, 21-17. It was ugly. But it was the first time the Raiders scored more than 20 points, right? It was. It took <laughs> some interesting ways to get there. Uh, Max Crosby with a, with a fantastic game. Josh Jacobs still going through the mud, 25 carries, 77 yards. He, you know, he's trying. Garoppolo leaves. This, this, was, this was all kinds of wrong. The Raiders were ugly. The Raiders were dirty. The Raiders were, were, were rough. It was ugly. It was, it, it was every other synonym you could come up with this, Chris. But the Raiders are three and three, and the Raiders are two and one at home, and the Raiders are a team unlike the Bills that you go, hey, a win is a win against Belichick with his back against the wall uh, in a must-win spot. You come out on top, you do it with defense, you do it really nicely with defense, and the Raiders are three and three, and they are right in the thick of a playoff race, as close as you could be to a playoff race in Week Six. Chris, I I'm impressed with this Raiders team because. They're winning like this. 
It didn't look good on Monday night. Got the win. You don't have to go out there and show that you could beat the big guys. You have to just go out there and beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and you're likely going to be right there for a playoff spot. And that's what they did against Green Bay on Monday. Short week coming back against Bill Belichick. Uh, you know, your former boss, this is a big win. Yeah, Tommy, the familiarity storyline was was uh, pervasive throughout this entire matchup, right? Obviously, you have Josh McDaniels, you know, an assistant under Bill Belichick there, but a lot of players that played and played a major role that used to be New England Patriots for the Las Vegas Raiders. Brian Horror, of course, played most of the second half. Uh, the injury to Jimmy Garoppolo is something that is that kind of hovers over this victory for the Las Vegas Raiders because if he's not ready to go, I mean, I mean, Tommy, think about it. Big shocker, right? Jimmy Garoppolo injured again. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know, press press two for uh, what you what you don't expect, right? When it comes to the Raiders, but. Um, Obviously, you know, with both those quarterbacks formerly playing in New England. And then, of course, Jacoby Myers, right? Five receptions for 61 yards, had a touchdown of this game, spent the previous four seasons there in New England as well, too. So, uh, again, this is one of those deals where I guess we can we can start tuning the horn of the Raiders because they're 500 right now. And they won a couple of close games, right, against teams that, that, that they're probably better than and that they probably should have beat. But, uh, but, uh, but there also but is that, also that moniker that of you look over at the other side of things and you see the Patriots now sitting at one and five and being an also ran, much like the New York Giants, on the, on the NFC side of things. And it just isn't all that impressive, right? Um, Josh Jacobs rushing for 77 yards in this one. And uh, by the way, I, I thought it was, it was key for the Raiders to get Michael Mayer involved a little bit, right? Five catches, 75 yards for him. Uh, because the guy had three catches for 41 yards entering the game. So that's a big deal for the Raiders to be able to get him kind of in the mix from an offensive standpoint. But uh, this is a Patriots team that's absolutely reeling, Tom Barton. Lost three games in a row. They ended a 79-point scoring streak by their opponents in a 10-quarter drought without a touchdown. And uh, it was lackluster, to say the least, in the early part of this game where you know Vegas takes that 10-0 lead in the second quarter because of that touchdown pass to Myers, and then uh, then the 13-3 lead at the half. Again, I'm not going to be doing backflips and somersaults and jumping jacks over all things silver and black after this game, but it was a solid win for the Raiders, and uh, they'll look, ahead. They'll look to, uh, to move forward next week in Chicago. Yeah, the uh, Las Vegas Raiders radio report that we do, uh, you look at the Raiders and you go, it, it's hard to take away positives except the W, and that's all that matters. I mean, it really is all that matters. Going, going with the Patriots, I just want to touch on the Patriots because you did a great job with the Raiders. When Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez went down and they said Gonzalez is not down for the year, I heard reports that Judon might be down for the year. He's at least on the IR. Uh, I, I said publicly, I don't know if the Patriots win another game this year. I, when you are built on defense, defense, and defense, and you lose your two best, clearly best, by the way, absolutely clearly best defensive players, I don't know if you could win. I, I really don't. So looking ahead to next week, okay, we have, you have Buffalo next week. We already kind of touched on the Buffalo Bills next week. Um, that should be a million shoulds. After that, you take on the Dolphins uh, in Miami. That's a tough spot when they have Brady and they have Belichick at his, at his best. So I see one in seven. You take on Washington. Okay, that's a winnable game, right? At home, Washington, cultural winnable game. At the Giants, winnable game. So you got three winnable games in there. Then Chargers at Steelers, Chiefs, 
at Broncos, I mean, is okay. Bills and Jets. Look, I'm giving them maybe four more wins for the rest of the season. And I don't think that they are winning Washington, Colts, Giants, and Broncos. I don't think they're winning all four. Can I see a scenario where we're looking at a Patriots team that, no, no, I'm not saying five and seven. I'm saying three-win team? Can we look at a Patriots team as a two-win team? I mean, Chris, how bad is this going to get? It's going to be bad, Tom Barton. There's no question about it. Now, uh, the idea that we would expect uh, anything to happen regarding Bill Belichick or you know the coaching staff and and uh, any major changes, I think, is far fetched. Uh, in my in oh, my the rumors here in New opinion. York are are New York might be calling. Yeah, I mean, look, but look, but look, I mean, it's 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 just it's just a scenario in which they are on the outside looking in. When you look at that division, right, Tommy, in the AFC East, I mean, every single team in that division, including the Jets, are better than the Patriots this year. It just happens to be a fact, right? I mean, there, I mean, it's not even a discussion between Buffalo and Miami, right, in that division. And I mean, I guess you could maybe have some some talks about the Jets, although the Jets, a game we're going to talk about later on, I'm sure, of course, uh, look solid. But uh, this is a New England team that is that has all kinds of issues on both sides of the football, offensively and defensively. And, oh, by the way, you don't even know what, what, your, what your situation is at quarterback. Right now, Mac Jones, I, I, I mean, it is really up in the air whether or not he is going to be the guy that's going to be the franchise quarterback for this team. I mean, it is a big question mark right now. Um, and I'm not sitting back here saying Bailey Zappi's the answer or anybody else, but, I'm, but I, I, I am saying but Caleb that Williams is a major the question answer. for this team. Caleb you know, you Williams is your answer. Right last week, when you got Bill Belichick getting asked questions in press conferences, like, oh, uh, you know, what's your frame of mind after five games and after five weeks, and you got Belichick up there saying, well, we start over. You know, or talking any way along those lines, that's also a concern for me. So uh, I just think it's going to be tough sledding for this Patriots team, you know, throughout the rest of the regular season. And I wouldn't find it beyond the realm of possibility that they could be a team that could win three or four football games total in the 2023-24 season. Chris, the Raiders traveled to Chicago. We'll touch on what Chicago did today, albeit to say they lost their 1-5, 0-3 at home. Justin Fields left the game. Looks like he's injured. Uh, Raiders are, it opened at three. It's down to a one-point favorite. People jumping all over the Chicago Bears. I'm not sure I can attest and, and say that that's a good idea. Look, the Raiders are, are winning these ugly games against teams that just have inept offenses. I mean, that's what it is. Green Bay, inept offense. New England, inept offense. Guess what? Chicago Bears, inept offense, right? I mean, isn't this a, the Bears a mimic of the Green Bay and New England Patriots? An offense that staggers, an offense that's one-dimensional, uh, an offense that, sure, if they get hot, they can scare you. But to me, this is another spot where the Raiders are looking at this and saying, another ugly win on tap. Yeah, I mean, and and look, we, t- we just talked about how the Patriots have issues, right? I mean, do we even need to get started about the Chicago Bears, right? I mean, they're putting a quarterback in there, Tommy. i got to be honest with you. I had no idea who he was. I had no idea. And by the way, the school they said he's from, they might have played my Framingham State Rams at the Division Three level in the MASCAC, my friend. Like, I had no idea where – I think it was Shepherd's College is where he's out Tim of. Tim is – I've never heard of Tim. Tommy Barton. 
I've never heard of the backup quarterback for the Chicago Bears. And I don't know how much that says about me or how much that says about the Bears as an organization where you're going to put that guy out there and expect him to win NFL football games. I, I think that's a stretch, to say the least. Well, Chris, your 1980s card is being revoked because Over the Top was a great movie. And did you know that the backup quarterback for the Chicago Bears, his father is the arm wrestling champion in America? Well, see, I did know that fun fact, Tommy, because it was pointed out on the broadcast when they rolled that guy out there for the game. And I thought it was an interesting fun fact, right? I thought it was kind of cool. But then I still looked at the guy and then I heard his name, Tommy. And look, I'm not some stranger to the NFL and covering or talking NFL football. And by the way, Tommy, I'm an NFL, I'm an NFC North guy. I'm an NFC North guy. I'm a Lions fan. And I still had no idea that this guy was the backup quarterback for the Chicago Bears. And so uh, it was I was rather humorous, and I get a chuckle out of it. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. But I, it was just, it was, just uh, it, it was, it was uh, kind of wild to see that happen there in that football game. Chris Wynn, not a fan of over-the-top. Oh, Sly's going to be mad. He's going to be upset. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, We will get into that Bears game. We're going to get into the rest of the games. Look ahead. See if we can find them. This week, we had big favorites, big favorites, big favorites. We're going to find some angles here on what we like next week because a lot of games are coming in at a touchdown or less. And most of the games next week, guys, three points or less. So it's going to be a good week. We'll talk a lot more on that right after this right here on Heat Wave Sports. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com here with Chris Wynn. Go check him out on the X. It's Christian Wynn at Christian Wynn at Tom Barton Sports. You guys want to be a part of the show. We'll go roll through everything in the NFL here. And, and coming up to some games, like we said, we're asking about the overreactions. There was a late game that the overreactions are going to come. I mentioned last week, I mentioned on my show on the Believe Network, that the Eagles were the least impressive 5-0 team that was out there. And I said it kind of sounds laughable, right? That they were unimpressive, yet they were 5-0. But that was the reality. And it wasn't just me. I mean, real Eagle fans, you listen to the chatter, you listen to the sports talk radio down in Philadelphia, they kind of knew that their team was flawed. But you assume they'd get by Zach Wilson, a Jets defense that didn't have Sauce Gardner, among other players, and a Jets team that was sort of going through the motions for this game because they were banged up. As uh, L.A. Knight would say, uh-uh, right? No, Jets win 20-14 to over the Eagles. Jalen Hurts, once again, as I predicted, looks bad. I thought he was going to look bad all year, and it, look, he's, he's, looked, he's looked bad. He's looked as bad as a 5-1 quarterback could look. 280 yards passing, not bad. Three interceptions, yeah, that's not good, okay? He's not able, able to push the ball downfield like he wants, He's not able to get out in the running space like he had. And you got to give it to the Jets. Yes, this is a defensive effort. Absolutely. But the Jets did enough. And the Jets, much like the Raiders, everything's falling down. They're ugly. It's gross. What are we doing? This is terrible. They're 3-3. and They're not dead yet. You know, Aaron Rodgers goes down. Dalvin Cook can't do anything. Sauce Gardner's out of the game. The Jets are 3-3. and As a matter of fact, Garrett Wilson left this game, did come back, but Garrett Wilson left this game for a chunk. The Jets are still winning games. This was more of an indictment 
on the Eagles to most of the media. Most of the media tomorrow is going to wake up with the overreaction. What happened to the Eagles? Can they get back? What's the deal with the Eagles? Let's talk the Eagles. Let's talk the Eagles. I don't want to start with that, Chris. I want to give credit to the Jets, who are 3-3. Three and three, And I can see a path in their future to pushing for a playoff where Aaron Rodgers, by the way, was on the field throwing the ball around. Right? I mean, they, that, that was going on. Next week, they get the Giants. Oh, well, in two weeks, because they get off next week. Uh, yeah. Next week, uh, th- then they have the Giants. Chargers at home. They never play well on the East Coast. At the Raiders, winnable game for them. Bills, Dolphins are going to be close, but they're rivalry games. Falcons, Texans, Commanders are still on the schedule. Uh, look, can I, Chris, can, can I see the Jets still? I didn't have them making the playoffs before the year with a healthy Rodgers. Now I'm on the other side. The information is here, and I'm looking at this Jets team, and I'm going, I can see eight wins. I got to tell you, Tommy, I love a little bit of the swagger coming out of this win for the New York Jets. You got Robert Sala rolling on up to the podium post game, talking about they ain't 12 and 12 and 0 no more, getting all kind of jacked up. You see Zach Wilson saying there's no quit in this team, and then of course you saw that sequence where you know Bryce Hall obviously getting that eight yard touchdown with about a minute 46 left. One play after Adams had that pick of Jalen Hurts, and you got New York essentially erasing an 11-point deficit to hold on to this win, and you shut out this Philadelphia Eagles team in the second half if you're the Jets' defense. So uh, it was a it was not a good game whatsoever for Jalen Hurts. Yeah, he had 280 yards passing, and he did have one touchdown pass on the game to to uh, DeAndre Swift, but he, he had one of the worst games from a turnover standpoint of his career, I think it was it was the worst game of his career, uh, three picks, including they had four turnovers total as a team. So this is uh, absolutely more, I think, uh, an indictment, really, of Philadelphia, despite the fact they're sitting at 5-1, and one, than it is a kind of rah-rah, oh, yeah, the Jets could take off from here moment. But they are 3-3, three and three, no question. And, uh, as you pointed out, look, I mean, this is a team that – uh, you would have thought it would have been outrageous when Aaron Rodgers goes down with that with that torn lefties, you know, uh, Achilles tendon tear, and uh, you know, and and yet they were still able to win that football game, right? Against Buffalo, you still would have thought it would have taken all the air out of the tires of everything that is the New York Jets, but it hasn't been the case. And so I give I give Robert Sala and that coaching staff a lot of credit, as well as the players, obviously. But uh, them sitting at three and three right now, I think, is a is a is a hell of an accomplishment, Tommy Barton for them to be there right now at this point. Well, how about the Eagles here? You know, look, the Eagles, I, like I said, Jalen Hurts, he doesn't look he doesn't look like himself, or actually he looks like the guy that I thought last year wasn't himself. Look, he's not having a bad year. I don't want to make it out to be he's having a bad year. 67% completion percentage, that's fine. 1,200 yards passing in five games, okay, or in six games, I should say. You know, I, Okay, that, 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 that's, that, that's good. Well, this is what we're doing, right? Six touchdowns, four interceptions. Um, you, you know, you look at this and you go, not great, right? I, I mean, this is what he's he's becoming. He's not even running anymore. Jalen Hurts is a guy that I think peaked last year. They have film on him, and I was afraid that the league was going to adjust. Look, they are 5-1, and one, but they beat the Patriots, not likely a, a playoff team. Vikings, not going to be a playoff team. Buccaneers, not going to be a playoff team. Commanders, not going to be a playoff team. Maybe the Rams, probably not a playoff team. They haven't beaten a playoff team. Now here's what happens. The wheels can fall off for this Philadelphia team. They get Monday night against the Dolphins. Then they go to Washington, division rival. 
Then they got the Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills, Niners, Cowboys, and then at Seattle. I, I mean, you have a gauntlet of seven of your next at eight games against not only division hopeful winners, more than likely six of those teams, six of the next seven games are against teams that have Super Bowl aspirations. Chiefs, Bills, Niners, Cowboys, Dolphins. I, I think that this is an Eagles wake-up call. This is an Eagles wake-up call of, if we don't do something quick, take the extra day, get ready for the Dolphins, come out and kind of show out here, there's going to be some serious problems because the, the wheels can fall off of the Eagles very quickly. Yeah, I would concur on that. And also, I'll, I had a point to it. Uh, it's a big-time game next week because this, is, this could absolutely change the trajectory of this team moving forward. You just talked about all those games that they're playing. It's very possible that this is, they, could, they could just get two wins out of all those games, right? And that, that could be me being generous, right, that they win two of those games. But if they do come home next week, right, and uh, you talked about that, that night game next week, and, uh, and, they beat, and they knock off the Miami Dolphins in that game, that's going to give them all kinds of confidence, right? That's going to kind of uh, – I, I mean, I use this term right the ship all the time. I mean, that, it's definitely going to do that. But uh, that, could be, that could be a big deal for the, for the Philadelphia Eagles moving forward. And, uh, I mean, you look at the line, right, Tommy? The line, I, I'm kind of perplexed by it, to be quite honest with you. That, uh, that the Eagles are favored in this game because I think about, I mean, I don't know about you. I'd love your opinion on this. I think about the Dolphins, and I think about the Eagles. I think the Dolphins are a better football team I, all, all around. I think they're a better football team. So to see Philadelphia favored, yeah, I get it. They're at home, and it's a primetime game. That's fine. But uh, I don't know about this line, Tommy, two and a half, as far as the Eagles concerned, uh, being, being a short favorite against Miami. Yeah, me too. Look, Miami's defense is just bad, but I don't know if Philadelphia can capitalize on it. I mean, that, that's kind of the problem. I don't know if they're going to be able to kind of get over the hump there. Right, let's talk about some other late games here. Rams, Cardinals, uh, Cooper Cup doesn't miss a beat. Seven catches, 148 yards in a reception. This guy is a moneymaker for any prop player. He's been a moneymaker for like four years for me. Uh, just set him into the lineup, take the uh, over on yards, and then take and then go out there, and they have like... You know, I know Caesars doesn't, FanDuel doesn't. They have, you know, plus money for over 125. Sprinkle some on that because Cooper Cup's going to do it. Stafford looked good. They didn't explode like I thought. Their defense actually looked really good. And I I, I did mention this to Tim last week, and I mentioned it uh, on the air. I, I think that it was a moment to make the Cardinals money, and now you just fade the Cardinals. They're not a good team. They have a backup quarterback. They have a backup running back. They don't have a key number one receiver. This is, and I don't think their coach is very good. This is a... Cardinals team that you start to fade now, you know, and I started to fade them a couple of weeks ago and here we go. So Rams with a nice win. Rams go to three and three Cardinals one and five. They are in the Caleb Williams discussion at this point. Nothing more to say than the Rams are just dangerous when they have cup out there with Puka and Tutu. Yeah. I'll just make a quick comment on this, Tommy. You talked about Cooper cup and having a big time day numbers wise. Uh, how about Williams, right? Especially in the second half. I think he had uh, like single digit yardage, on a couple of carries in the first half, the guy ends up with 158 yards on the ground and a big time touchdown. By the way, in the second half, that kind of that kind of you know seals the deal, if you will, on this matchup. So uh, you know, while you think about the Rams, right? You think about all the high flying, you know, aerial acrobatics and the, you know the the uh, you know and, and and scoring points through the air. It really was the running game that was a big key in this one in the win against Arizona. Next week, Arizona travels to Seattle. Tough place to play. 
take on the, the Seahawks. Biggest line of the week. It opened up at seven and a half. It's up to eight. You can't get me to bet the Cardinals right now. I, like I said, I'm, I'm fading all day. In Seattle, even more so. Seattle coming off of a loss, even more so. I like Seattle next week. I'll probably be leaning that one. Yeah, I got to watch the tape over the course of the week. Watch that line movement. But right now, Seattle makes sense. I'm taking a hard look at uh, the Seahawks just because, you know, and, and by the way, a tight loss this week, too, to a team that uh, that they I, I'm sure in, when they're in the locker room postgame you know, there in Cincinnati, uh, Tommy, they were probably thinking we this is definitely one that got away from us, right? How about Steelers, Rams? Steelers go out to L.A. The Rams are exciting. The Rams, uh, you know, have their their fun wide receivers, but they do have offensive line problems. Maybe that feeds into the Steelers what they can do well here. Steelers coming off of a bye way. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know three and a half. I think it's a little lofty. I thought it would be a pick'em. Yeah, it sounds about right as far as uh, your assessment there. I'd still take a hard look at the Rams here because. Uh, it, it's, it's just a team that you, I, I get a feel, Tommy. I get a feel that they just haven't shown us, you know, what what they can do, especially from an offensive standpoint. So maybe, uh, you know, they they kind of pop the top off of everything when it comes to this matchup against the Steelers coming up next week. All right, Chris, we got about 10 minutes before we got to take a break. Let, let's spend it on uh, the final late game. Your Lions, they're winning in different ways. They go out there and they take on the Bucks 20 to 6. And you sit back and you go, look. Lions are now 5-1. and one. This is a good road win. It's a good road win. I, nobody overly went crazy. I mean, Goff had 353, which was nice. Um, St. Brown, 12 catches, 124. But but the offense didn't do anything spectacular. It wasn't a, a light-em-up show, but the defense looked great. Now, the Buccaneers have a bad offensive line. We know that. And they certainly can't run the ball. Um, neither team could run the ball or even attempted to run it today. Rasheed White, 7 carries, 26 yards. I'll give you the story there. This was a designed effort of the Lions finally saying to teams and showing to teams, we're just better than you. And we're not going to do anything fancy. We're not going to try to, you know, get get creative or anything. We're just better than you. We know your weakness is offensive line. We're going to send the house, which they did often. We're going to confuse Baker, which they did often. And we're going to dare you to try to show that you're better than, than we are. And we know we're not going to go crazy and, and you know, put up 30, 40 points on your defense because you, you do have some decent linebackers. But at the end of the day, Chris, it's got to feel good being a Lions fan to know not only are you 5-1, and one, but you're a very impressive 3-0 and oh away. And even though this is an opponent that people could say, oh, you're supposed to beat, this is kind of one of those games where in the past the Lions lose. In the past, good teams lose in this spot. It's nice to see that the Detroit Lions are in a spot where they are lining up against the football, lining up against the guy across the, the football from them and saying to them, we're better than you, and we're just going to go out there and just play our game. That's what the Lions did today. Make no mistake about it, Tommy. The Detroit Lions are impressive as all get out so far to start this season, and that's not even a biased homer take on my part because everybody knows my allegiance to the Honolulu Blue and Silver. This is a team from an offensive standpoint that finds different ways to win football games and score points. Jared Goff is no longer going to be getting slept on. He is uh, performing at a solid level right now, absolutely a Pro Bowl level without question. You've got David Montgomery, who went down with the injury in this game. We'll see how serious it is because he had the rib injury in this game. 
And that's after, of course, uh, you know, uh, Jameer Gibbs, who was injured in this game also with a hamstring, was unavailable. It was like the line still could not miss a beat as Jared Goff went out there and threw for over 350 and a couple of touchdowns. One to Amar Ross St. Brown, who was just like as steady as anybody can be in the NFL as far as a wide receiver. And then uh, a, a piece that could be absolutely monstrous, Tommy, when you're talking about the Detroit Lions and their postseason possibilities, and, and that is Jamison Williams. They have not had Jamison Williams really in the mix yet in the NFL. He was, of course, injured a lot last year. He had the suspension to start this season off. Hasn't really been a factor. He goes out there, gets the 45-yard touchdown catch, uh, along with the 27-yarder to Mara St. Brown. Detroit scores enough points, and defensively, they were also super impressive. They picked off Baker Mayfield one time, but a big key to winning games in the NFL on the road, Tommy Barton, is what? It's keeping teams to field goals when they need to score touchdowns, and that's exactly what the Lions defense did, holding to the Buccaneers to field goals of 33 and 36 yards in the entire game. And Dan Campbell was talking about this postgame, how impressed he was with this Lions defense, and uh, talking about how they're just playing as one unit right now when your defense only gives up six points. It's saying a lot, and that's exactly what was happening. And there aren't a lot of big-name guys yet on this Detroit defense, Tommy. And you mentioned the record, right? They're sitting at 5-1, and one, which, by the way, their best record in over decades since 2011 when they were actually a playoff team and lost to the Cowboys in the playoffs with uh, Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson and company. The Lions could easily be 6-0. and They could easily be 6-0. and Their one loss was that overtime loss to Seattle where the Lions essentially blew the game. So, I mean, Detroit, I mean, you want to talk about overhyped? Absolutely not. It's a, the team has performed on the level where they have been uh, ultra beyond impressive. And as a Detroit Lions fan since 1979, when I was just a young kid, um, this is probably the best Detroit Lions team I have ever seen. And I'm not being over the top with it. This is the best Detroit Lions team I have ever seen, and it's 2023. And uh, and they are well on their way to – they're going to be a playoff team this year. And it's just a matter of do they uh, end up having uh, multiple uh, opportunities to play at home in the playoffs right now at this point. Chris, does the best team you've ever seen, uh, do they beat the Ravens getting two and a half next week? Again, another tough road game. It's hard to go on the road twice. We know that. The Lions historically do not do well on the road, but that's this is a different kind of team. Ravens have some holes. Ravens were just in London. Ravens might have that little jet lag going on, yet the Lions are getting two and a half. What do you think? Yeah, I think they have a real shot, Tommy, and I probably would take a look at the Lions in this matchup because, uh, you know, it's what we last saw, right? And I think about the Baltimore Ravens offensively, they just struggled. I mean, they really did. I mean, when look, it's great when you have Justin Tucker out there kicking, what, six field goals in that game across the pond. That's, uh, that's going to do wonders for the final score and for you getting a victory by eight over the Tennessee Titans. But it doesn't blow your socks off when you think about Baltimore's offense. So I really think that Detroit, from a defensive standpoint, could give all kinds of issues to Lamar Jackson and company. Now, look, on the other side of things for Detroit, I'm going to be curious to see exactly what the health issues are when it comes to the running back position for the Lions and uh, for some of their offensive line as well, too. Uh, if, because if you're going into the game with Craig with with Craig Reynolds as your starting running back, that doesn't give me a whole lot of solace. But but the Lions just seem to find it, 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 Tommy Barton. 
they seem to find a way. I mean, this is this team finds a way and just plug guys in. And I mean, you got a, you got a, you know a big time threat out there from Holy Cross, right? When you're when you're talking about the kick returner, when you, I mean, they got guys out there that that aren't exactly big time names that uh, that are making a difference. So I I'm, I'm not putting it past the lines at all to be able to uh, to to roll into Baltimore and pick up a win in that game. We didn't get into the Falcons yet, but Desmond Ritter. Uh, doesn't lose at home, basically. Buccaneers will be hosting the Falcons. Bucks are minus two and a half in this one also. Again, like I said, a lot of lines that are three points or under. Uh, Bucks, I think they're a lot better than what they showed today. I like their defense. I like some things that they do on offense. I just think that they were outclassed today. They're not going to be outclassed against the Falcons, but the Falcons are still doing some nice things. Falcons are three and three, right? Bucks are three and two, despite all their problems. This could be one of those separation games. Bucks at home. Do they drop two in a row at home? I don't know. I don't love laying the two and a half here, but I can't find myself taking the Falcons. I got to tell you, though, Tommy, I mean, I look at this matchup, and I'm all over Tampa Bay in this tilt for, for kind of some of the reasons you talked about. But also, I mean, Desmond Ritter was just atrocious today, right? Three interceptions in the, in the, fourth, in the, in the uh, second half. You looked over, you saw the head coach for the Falcons. I mean, the guy's just grabbing his face. He's rubbing his head every time Desmond Ritter goes out there and just makes a terrible play on offense. Look, I love having you know, a John Robinson and, and some of the pieces they have on offense in Atlanta, but uh, you, you cannot have your quarterback out there uh, with careless interceptions in these games and expect to win football games. So I'm definitely going to be someone who's taking a hard look at the Bucks in this tilt. All right, Chris, what we're going to do right now, let's take a quick timeout, uh, get through some commercials. We're going to have hour number two, roll through the rest of the NFL games. We're going to try to get to Major League Baseball. Guys, look, it, it was a wild, topsy-turvy week, and I, I have a feeling next week's going to be even more crazy. If you're hearing the lines that we're telling you guys, if you're hearing the, the two-and-a-halves, two-and-a-halves, two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half, two-and-a-half, this, this week we had big favorites. Next week, if you're in a Survivor League, have fun next week. Because you're going to be choosing um, from the slim pickings, especially if you got here by picking the big dogs like Kansas City, San Francisco, Miami, and, and Buffalo. Uh, the pickings are going to be slim next week. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. Hour number two, Heat Wave Sports, right after this. All right, guys. Hour number two, Heat Wave Sports. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com here with Chris Wynn. Go check him out at, at Chris Wynn over on Twitter. Tom Barton Sports on Twitter as well. Yeah, Chris, I told you, I, I have had a bad weekend. This one was rough. Uh, 0-2-1 today is what I went. I, this is after going 7-0 the last two weeks. 0-2-1. That, that, that one might sting more than anything else. Let's talk about it. I had the over in the San Francisco Browns game. San Francisco, let's get out. Let's get the excuses out of the way. They lost Debo Samuel in this game. Christian McCaffrey did leave uh, late in the game. They lost their left tackle for a little while in the game. But a Browns defense that I thought were not frauds, but I didn't think they were very good. Uh, I, they they were ranked, what, number two or number three in the NFL. And I said, okay, they're top ten, but, but I don't think they're one or two. Right? I don't think they're that. Well, I, I might be wrong. Brock Purdy looked human. The Browns absolutely turned it on in the second half of this game. The Browns allowed just one touchdown in the second half. It was a Cleveland clinic of how to play an ugly, gross football game with a backup quarterback. That's what happened. 
The Niners came in undefeated, lost to a backup quarterback. They lost on the road to a, a, a Browns team that had no, no business winning this game. And how they lost. They missed a field goal early. They missed a field goal with no time left on the clock. That looked like a pretty, I don't want to say chip shot, but pretty easy field goal. Brock Purdy had the ball on the 35-yard line and fumbled. Brock Purdy had the ball on the 32-yard line and took a huge loss. The Niners should have won this game by all accounts, but they didn't. So brackets are busted if you want to talk about it, right? Survivor pools are dead. Teasers are done. The Niners are no more a talk of a, an unbeaten season. None of that. Niners go down 19-17. And Chris, you know, the Browns are Browns are three and two. Browns have a good defense. Browns are playing with backup running back, backup wide receivers, backup linemen, backup quarterback. They're getting it done purely on defense. And I have to acknowledge. Uh, Roman Reigns says, acknowledge me. I'm acknowledging this Browns defense. They are as good as advertised. Tommy Barton, this was a textbook example of uh, this is why they play the games, right? Um, this is a, a Cleveland team that uh, uh, has the top-ranked defense actually in the NFL. And you can't underestimate the impact of not having Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel in that second half when they went out with injuries. And you cannot foresee, Tommy, P.J. Walker coming off of Cleveland's practice squad and outplaying Brock Purdy, who I didn't think was going to lose a game until like 2030, right? The guy just flat out, when he starts a game, either in the NFL or beyond, he wins. He's you know winning his first 10 uh, regular season starts and coming in with the highest passer rating in the history of the NFL for any quarterback through 10 games, and he was not good at all through through his first pick of the season, finished with uh, just 125 yards through the air, uh, despite the fact that he nearly pulled off the, you know, the comeback. If Moody would have uh, not missed that kick there, that was extremely makeable at the end of the game. So the Niners, look, they came into this game looking pretty much unbeatable, right, Tommy? I mean, they just destroyed the Cowboys at home last, last week you know, by 32 points, and they scored, what, at least 30 points in each of their first five games. So seeing what Cleveland's defense was able to do, and uh, I talked about how Justin Tucker and the and the Ravens had a, had a bushel load of field goals. Well, Dustin Hopkins went out there, kicked four field goals for the Browns as well, too. The last one with, what, a minute 40 left to cap that drive off. That was helped by that, you know, that kind of disputed, unnecessary roughness call against the Niners there. But, uh, look, the Browns win the game despite not having, you know, Deshaun Watson there who missed a second straight game with a bruised right shoulder. So, uh, big props to, to the Browns for getting the win. And uh, it just goes to show you that, uh, hey, there's no such thing as perfect teams in the NFL, Tom Barton. And there's definitely no such thing as given when you're talking about the NFL as well. Yeah, it, it was one of those wild and crazy games that we're talking about. Uh, you know, kids were uh, – I picked up my son from, from a baseball game. Kids were, did you hear the Niners lost? You know, 9- and 10-year-old kids. Because it's just crazy to think that they did lose uh, to P.J. Walker and the Cleveland Browns. Moving forward, I would say if healthy, if they get Debo back and cleared, they get McCaffrey back and cleared, the Niners are in a foul mood on Monday Night Football going to take on the Vikings. It's a seven-point spread right now. I expect that if Debo and McCaffrey are cleared for this game and ready to go, this line might hit double digits. And, and there's no way I could take the Vikings, even with it hit, hitting double digits. I mean, that is the kind of game that I think that, that they certainly could have. The Browns, 
They go take on the Colts. Right? Take on a Colts team. Cleveland's only a two-point favorite. I'm sorry. I'm acknowledging the Browns. I'm acknowledging their defense, and I'm going, I don't know how. I, I, I'm trying not to play overreaction right now, but I don't know how the Colts score. Yeah, I was just going to echo that sentiment, Tommy. I do not know if Indianapolis is going to have any points in this football game, even a field goal, because I think you know the, the Cleveland Browns defense is just that good. As far as the Niners going to Minnesota, I mean, this is to me, this is just like uh, again, again, pending pending the injuries to Debo Samuel, who, by the way, uh, never did attempt to come back. He was in street clothes in that second half. At least Christian McCaffrey like tried to come back a couple of times before being ruled out of this game. But obviously, that's going to have an impact. But to be quite honest with you, uh, San Francisco is just so deep that that you know whether it's Brandon Ayuk, whether it's the other guys in the backfield that can that can step up for San Francisco, I think they're uh, they're going to be able to handle Minnesota because the Vikings are a sinking ship. And to use the the Tom Barton patented copyrighted phrase uh, phrase of dumpster fire, that's exactly what the Minnesota Vikings are right now. So I have zero confidence whatsoever in uh in the team with the purple jerseys on whatsoever so i think san francisco is uh definitely in a get right situation in this matchup yeah you know it's kind of funny you look at at the cleveland browns and what they did this year look they held the Bengals to three the titans to three right um the steelers to 26 but 14 of those points were scored on the defensive side only one offensive touchdown so they went through the first three games allowing one offensive touchdown. The Ravens got them, okay, known opponent, and now they just held the Niners to two. I don't know what the over-under for the team total is going to be next week, uh, you know, for the Colts, but I'm on the under. <laughs> I, can, I can just flat out just tell you, uh, I'm going to be I'm gonna be on the under there, as well as uh, the Vikings kind of flexing their muscles. I, I think that, that that's one of those spots that you kind of just take a spot. How about... Texans, Saints, here we go. C.J. Stroud, still very impressive. Derek Carl had a big game, 353 yards-wise, couldn't get in the end zone. And that's been kind of the Saints' problem. Texans win 20-13. to The Saints' problem this year is they just can't score. They've scored 16, 20, 17, 9, 34 against the Patriots, and an explosion, and then 13. I mean, they, this team just offensively can't score. We knew that they would be good defensively. Their schedule was a joke. If you're in fantasy, every fantasy analyst out there said, you're facing Ryan Tannehill, Bryce Young, Jordan Love, Baker Mayfield, Mac Jones, and C.J. Stroud. Yeah, you're going to have a field day early on. And that's exactly what they've done. But they are sitting here, and the Saints are only 3-3 three and three with that weak, pathetic schedule of quarterbacks because they just can't score. Texans, they're 3-3. Three and three. I'm massively impressed with C.J. Stroud. I'm impressed with the coaching staff. I'm impressed with the defense can do. I'm impressed with Anderson. I'm impressed with Pierce. I'm impressed with Dell. I'm impressed with Collins. I mean, the Texans are just an impressive team. I'm looking at the, them and I'm going, yeah. Look, I, I'm not. I'm not ruling out a playoff run for them. Where the Saints, I'm looking at them as a fraudulent three and three because the schedule said, yeah, you were going to be three and three. Yeah, what a difference a week makes, right? If you're the Houston Texans last week, of course. They weren't able to get that stop on defense against the Atlanta Falcons, and they end up taking the L. This week, Tommy, what do they do? They get two stops in the last five minutes of the game on defense, and it ends up being the difference for Houston in this victory over New Orleans. And uh, look, I mean, this is a this is a team. And uh, when you talk about 
the Houston Texans defensively. Yeah, you like Shaquille Griffin, right? You like Blake Cashman and some of these guys, but there's not it's not a whole lot of big name talent defensively for the Texans, but they get they continue to get the job done. And now with this victory, Tom Barton, this victory now, oh, they've had uh they've had, they've even their win total for last season completely when they were what? Uh three thirteen and one, I think they were last year. So uh uh CJ Stroud has, has been pretty solid, right? He has been one of the more impressive rookie quarterbacks without question, if not the most impressive rookie quarterback so far this year. So uh, I think things are absolutely looking up. If you're the Houston Texans, if you're the New Orleans Saints, uh, you want to talk about execution and, and getting it, you know, and actually being able to seal the deal, so to speak. You got Derek Carr with that, you know, 50-plus yard pass to Rashid Shaheed there to get them down to the Texans 35. And then they run the ball, what, five times in a row? to get down to the 14, and then, you know, it, it all of a sudden it's fourth and four, and they just give the ball right back to Houston with four minutes left plus there. I mean, you've got to be able to come away there with uh, with, with a definitive uh, statement there, and they just weren't able to do it. So, I, I mean, I, I kind of look at this Saints team as an also-ran in the NFC, and they're kind of just going to be uh, kind of cannon fodder, I think, for the better teams in the NFC, but uh, – that's a tough way to go down. You're on the road at Houston and you lose uh, in by a touchdown when you had chances to, to make this uh, uh, a v very interesting, especially down the stretch. How about uh, Jacksonville over the Colts? Look, this this score shouldn't even be. I shouldn't be allowed to say this score because they won 37 to 20, but it was 30 37 to six or 31 to six, and then the Colts were tacking on late touchdowns that meant nothing. Gardner Minshew, sure, he had 329. He also had three interceptions. He looked like a guy that's a backup quarterback that shouldn't be playing. And I like Gardner Minshew, but that's reality. I don't want to sit here and tell you that Trevor Lawrence had an amazing game. It was 3-0 after the first quarter. But the Jaguars poured on 31 points in the next two quarters. They absolutely dominated. When Jacksonville is playing on their game, this is the reason I thought that Jacksonville was going to go deep into the playoffs. When Jacksonville is playing on their game, which they have now played on their game two weeks in a row, the Jaguars look unstoppable at times. They are 4-2. and two. They absolutely earn this 4-2. and two. They earn the eyes and the attention that we should all be giving them. Travis Etienne, Calvin Ridley, they are still the most unlucky team in the NFL, which means that 4-2 and two could very well be 6-0 and oh, if you really want to talk about that conversation. The defense, not up to par in most games against teams like the Colts. They are. Minshew is just not the guy there. The offense is still having some problems. Taylor's not all the way back. I still don't think they have a number one receiver, even though Pittman had a nice game today. And, and then you get to the secondary. The secondary was supposed to be a problem. It's actually not that bad. And you look at the middle linebackers, they're supposed to be good. And they're not playing well at all. So the Jacksonville Jaguars are a team that I'm looking forward to kind of hitting their groove now. I think that Jacksonville is in a spot where you go, okay, start stringing these games together, start stringing these wins together, where the Colts, I'm sorry, I, I you have three wins. I don't know if they get three wins the rest of the season. It's a mess over there in Indianapolis, who have played a lot better than I thought they would. Well, Tommy, didn't we just talk about how the Colts are going to struggle to score points next week and how we think they could put up a donut? I'm shocked. Tom Barton, I am stunned that they're even able to put 20 points up in this game. Yeah, I mean, look, the Jags had it pretty much in hand by the third quarter when Lawrence threw that touchdown to, to Brenton Strange, right, for for that 10-yard touchdown that put them up 
31 to six, as you pointed out. But I mean, the Colts get a couple of, I mean, I guess you want to call them garbage touchdowns in the second half. You know, you get the one, the two yard touchdown pass, and then you get the, the short run for a touchdown. Um, the Colts, they, they, look, it, it is just tough sledding when they can't, when they come into Jacksonville, they can't win there. I mean, it's been, it's been, I think since 2015, since the Colts have won a game there. And then you got Garter, you know, another kind of, uh, Interesting note, obviously, you got Minshew getting the start because of Anthony Richardson being hurt. He goes out there and just has an atrocious showing where he turns the ball over four times, three picks and an interception. And then, uh, you know, and, and, and then Minshew, hey, I'll give credit where credit is due for Minshew after the game time. He's like, yeah, it's definitely tough to come back here and play like that. So we kind of owned it right. And, uh, and, I, and by the way, it was misspoke. He fumbled once and had three picks in the game. Threw for a bunch of yards and actually had a touchdown to Josh Downs. But, I mean, all of his interceptions, Tommy, were just absolutely awful. He threw – they were basically thrown right directly to defenders. You know, you know, you know, some quarterbacks are like, ah, I got tipped or, you know, maybe the, the receiver ran the wrong route. No, that's not the case. I mean, those interceptions that Minshew threw were right into the hands of, uh, of Jacksonville defenders. So – uh, I mean, look, this is a Jaguars team that leads the NFL with 15 takeaways, Tommy. And, uh, and you know, with, you know, Josh Allen forcing the early fumble and you've got, uh, you know, you've got Cisco, Jenkins, and Williams all getting interceptions in this game for, for the Jaguars. So defensively, Jaguars, I think, are going to be okay. But, uh, it's it, look, this is an Indianapolis Colts team that's 3-3. Three and three, And I, quite frankly, don't know how they're 3-3. Three three. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I had them as one of my team total unders for the year, so I'm completely with you. Looking forward to next week, uh, the Texans have a bye week. Um, the Colts we talked about. And then the Jag Saints are, are Thursday night football, right? The Jaguars and the Saints are pick them. Pick them. Now, look, I understand it's a short week. I understand the travel schedule for Jacksonville has gotten a little wonky. Two weeks in London, come home for a week. Now you've got to travel to New Orleans. Uh, I, I just don't understand how this could be a pick game. The Saints can't score. Jacksonville's defense is solid, um, and their their offense is massively better. Don't talk to me about Jacksonville can't travel. They're 2-0 and away. And, by the way, the London games, right? The Saints, oh, they're all dominant at home. Look, Derek Carr doesn't look like Derek Carr right now. Olave doesn't look like Olave. Uh, Kamara has come back. He looks good, but he doesn't look great. I don't know why this is an even line. I'm going to have to dig into this because to me, when I did my my before lines, again, it's a road game. I get it. I still had Jacksonville minus a field goal. So if I'm getting them at even, I got to lean Jacksonville. Maybe that's just because I go back to the Jags, back to the well all the time. Jacksonville looked like they turned a corner a couple weeks ago for me. A quick note on this game too, Tommy. And I don't know if this is a, a miss. Uh, stat when it comes to ESPN because I'm jumping around on sites here and I'm on the ESPN site. They're saying Jacksonville's lost all three games they played in the Big Easy. Now, look, I, I understand Jacksonville just came into the NFL, you know, back in the 90s, but um, they, they've only played three games in New Orleans. Does that sound right? I guess so. Yeah, different conference, different. Yeah, I, I mean, and so they apparently they never know. won in in New Orleans. So I mean, look, I don't I, care I, what Maurice I, I mean, Jones take it for what did, worth, you know, may, uh, that, whether that comes into play as far as a line, I doubt it. But I just wanted to throw that little uh, fun fact out there. Yeah, look, I, can you give me a reason not to jump all over Jacksonville? Here? I actually, I absolutely, positively cannot. I cannot. I, I mean, I look at I look at this matchup, and I'm absolutely the the, the initial reaction 
is to jump all over the boys from Duval. No question about it. And I think offensively they can they're going to be able to be effective against this New Orleans defense. So I I mean yeah I think I mean I take a look at it and I think it's it's a it's a Jacksonville seven point win plus I in, in my opinion but. Yeah, that's I, that's how I, I'm looking at it. You know, I had it three could boost up to four, but yeah, absolutely. How about uh, their friends from the Sunshine State, Miami? Absolutely wallops the Panthers. They hung in it for a little while. Panthers jumped out to a fourteen nothing lead, and I think Miami took it personal. I think, think they got a little annoyed. Um, Tua went off with three touchdowns. Mostert had 115 yards and two touchdowns. Tyreek Hill did leave the game. Uh, but six receive, or receptions, 163 yards. Waddle looked good. The whole team looked good. The Dolphins' problem, once again, is that their defense is just not up to snuff. I don't care that they won 42-21. to 21. I, I, it, They covered. It was great. It was fantastic. But their defense does have holes, just holes that Bryce Young just can't capitalize on. I, he's just not the guy to capitalize on. Um, the Dolphins look like world beaters. The Dolphins look like what we talked about in the preseason on this show. And I said, if Miami stays healthy, and that's a huge if, Miami could be Super Bowl champions. I really do believe that this is a Super Bowl championship roster when they are healthy. Getting Jalen Ramsey back will help this team. They got to get a little bit more push up front. But I was very impressed with Miami today, like I am nearly every week. And the Panthers, you know, Bryce Young's going through some some struggles here. It doesn't help that C.J. Stroud hit the ground running and Richardson looked good. But Bryce Young's going through it right now. And I think that he's a better quarterback I didn't think he was should have been the number one pick, first of all. Uh, but I think he's a better quarterback than when he showed. Maybe the bye week will get him back there. Yeah, I have to say, Tommy, I'm a Bryce Young guy. I still think uh, I'm in his camp, and I think he can be a solid NFL quarterback. But this is a Carolina Panther team that's, quite frankly, just wallowing in the basement of the NFL. That's just what they are. Um, obviously, own six uh, pretty much leads into that. They did take that 14-point lead, like you said, in this football game, which is I, I thought was a shocker for a lot of people. And then, of course, uh, Miami comes from behind and scores 35 straight points before Mike White goes in to take over for Tua with about four minutes left, right? And then they get the pick six by Troy Hill to get that third touchdown. Uh, obviously, Tyreek Hill was big time in this game, you know, 163 yards receiving. He now leads the league with over 800 yards receiving, including that uh, kind of circus show there during that touchdown where he goes all kind of Joe Horn-esque, right, with the uh, camera phone and doing the backflip and all that kind of unnecessary stuff that I wasn't really on board with, and uh, he was penalized accordingly. But that being said, I mean, this is an explosive Miami offense that is just a lot of fun to watch. I have no connection to the Dolphins or fandom when it comes to this team, but it is just all kinds of fun to kind of watch Mike McDaniel and this offense operate. And, of course, uh, you know, it just have so much speed everywhere. It's just unbelievable that uh, it's pretty much, you know, a relay track team out there, whether it's wide receivers and running backs for Miami. So the Dolphins, I mean, putting up 42 points, it's kind of like ho-hum, right, Tom Barton, that uh, they go out there and do that. And you've got, uh, uh, all, look, a good, I, I guess one bright spot, for Carolina and for fantasy football fans is Adam Thielen, right? Going for over 100 yards and a touchdown on that for the second straight game. Uh, you know, he had like 115 and 11 catches in this game. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be real rough for those Panther fans the rest of the season because I don't see uh, any light at the end of the uh, tunnel for this team. No, we talked about the Dolphins uh, next game against the Eagles. How about Bengals, Seahawks? 
In a game that, look, my initial reaction was this was going to be a high-scoring game. Then I saw the weather, the winds were out there. Uh, Bengals get a nice nice home win here, 17-13. I still think that the Bengals are struggling. I still think Joe Burrow doesn't look the same, but he had enough today. Walker, I thought, was going to have a huge game. And he, the Bengals' defense has just been impressive this year. Everybody's talking about Chase and Burrow and when will Higgins be back 100% healthy and all that. Look, the Bengals, they, they, they've done real well, um, specifically recently with this defense. Held the Cardinals to 20, the Seahawks to 13, uh, the Rams to 16 in their wins. That Titans team put up 27 in, in a weird game. I'm telling you, this Bengals team, they may not be right, like I'm saying, uh, but their defense is right, and that right now is carrying the day. Yeah, Tommy, uh, you know, Bengals head coach Zach Taylor kind of said it best. You know, it's better to win ugly than lose pretty. I mean, Joe Burrow, I mean, the guy who's been hit or miss all season long, right? I will say this as a fantasy football owner of Joe Burrow, right? There's just some games where he's been able to kind of show up this year and they've been rare and uh, hard to find. And in the first half of this game, it looked like it was going to be, you know, the the old school Joe Burrow, old school meaning like, you know, the last two years with him at the quarterback position, but he couldn't get the ball in the end zone in the second half Sunday. Lucky for him that the Bengals defense made sure that the Seahawks didn't get in the end zone either. And so, the, you know, Cincinnati's able to kind of edge out the 17-13 win, helped out by, you know, when you got that, when the Bengals stop in Seattle on a fourth and eight from the Bengals nine, when Smith gets drilled by B.J. Hill and, you know, through that incompletion with 35 seconds left. And then the, the drive before that, Tommy, if you watch this game, you know, Smith was, you know, sacked by Sam Hubbard on fourth and goal at the six-yard line, and, you know, to turn the ball back over to Cincinnati. So, I mean, the defense – you know, scoring, they scored touchdowns on their first two possessions of the game, but they also punted six times in the game. And that was a big key into why Seattle had the chances late. So um, uh, there's still some things to work out if you're that Cincinnati Bengals offense, no question about it. But it was the definition of a grinded out win, and they were able to get it. And uh, now they're sitting at, th- at three and three also. And, uh, and I think they're going to be looking to improve on all aspects, all phases of the game, Tommy if you're Cincinnati as you're moving through forward throughout this season. And of course, you know, into the matchup next week, uh, excuse me, in two weeks after a bye week. Yeah. So they got, they got a nice bye week. I think that this was almost a must win because now they're going to hit the ground running when they, they get back and a healthy uh, Joe Burrow. As for the Seahawks, look, Seattle is a team that I thought that they could challenge for the division. I thought that they could go deep. Uh, look, they're three and two. Coming off of a bye week, losing to the Bengals is not a big deal. We talked about it. They take on the Cardinals next week. Uh, get up to four and two. Now we can start seriously talking about Seattle. Falcons drop one at home. It's the first one that Desmond Ritter ever lost at home ever. Three oh seven. That looks good. Two touchdowns. That looks good. Chris, you 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 said it. You know the the head coach is in disbelief over the three interceptions. Where was Bijan in this game? Oh, by the way, because Tyler Algier, 13 carries, 51 yards. The commanders who couldn't stop anybody. I feel like me, you, and Tim go out there. We throw the ball around. We're scoring 40 on the commanders. They only allow 16. The Falcons stumbled. The Falcons fell. Uh, The Falcons just looked ugly after all year looking good. And the commanders, I don't know. They keep backing into these wins. But, hey, they, they keep backing into these wins, and that's okay for them. This was an ugly game. Washington came out on top, and I'm still not sure what to make about either one of these teams. Yeah, these are both perplexing teams to me because I thought Atlanta was going to be better than they've been this season. 
of Washington, I was I was kind of like, uh, you know, they're they're going to just kind of be in the middle of the mix in the NFC East, and then kind of you know, but they maybe win some games they're not supposed to win, and lose some games they're not supposed to lose. I mean, but Sam Howell looked decent today, no doubt about that. And you know, look, Terry McLaurin, people kind of sleep on him a little bit, and. And you like some of the pieces they have. You talk, and there was the other Robinson right on the other side of uh, of the field when you're talking about you know the Washington Commanders that uh, has had his spots so far this year. So look, I mean, uh, you know, coming off that uh, you know 40 to 20 home loss to the lowly Tom Barton Chicago Bears, right? <laughs> the Commanders kind of redeemed themselves a little bit, right? You know, uh, again, and and uh, were able to kind of to get this W against a mistake-prone team, that's what I'll call them, in the Atlanta Falcons. And I talked about this earlier on the show, obviously, about Desmond Ritter. You can, your quarterback can't go out and throw for multiple upon multiple interceptions in the second half and expect to win football games. You just can't do that. And, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know about you, Tommy. Uh, where are you on Arthur Smith as a head coach? Because I'm just – I'm kind of lukewarm on this guy. I don't know. If he's a, is if he's an NFL head coach and he seems to be finding ways week after week to kind of confirm my suspicions, what do you say? I think there's a lot of coaches in this league that are coaching right now in the league because they are offensive coordinators that have offensive coordinator talent and they have a young offensive team and they're just going, okay, just build up our offense, get them up to snuff, and we all know that they're going to be out of town. When, when the team kind of develops. Bijan Robinson's not having Arthur Smith as his head coach for most of his career, right? I mean, I think it's just mm-hmm. kind of known. So I'm with you 100%. Uh, Falcons played quick the Bucks last week. We kind of... Oh, yeah. Quick note too, Tommy. Uh, you know, Sam Howell's turned into the Joe Burrow of last year when it comes to being on his back. <laughs> he had, there's five sacks in this game for Atlanta, even though they lost this game. Sam Howell's been dumped 34 times this season, Tommy. Uh, not a great thing for a quarterback to have to deal with all season long. Hey, you mentioned Sam Howell. Giants take on the Commanders next week in uh, New York. We, we touched on that. It's going to be an interesting one. That'll be interesting. Ravens, Titans. We woke up this morning with this game. Uh, Ravens get the win 24-16. It really wasn't that close. Uh, uh, Titans came back a little bit. Ryan Tannehill out of this game. They actually picked up a little momentum when he left. Uh, that's not saying anything bad, just reality. Uh, Lamar Jackson did what Lamar does. He ran around a little bit when he needed him to. He was looking eyes downfield. They couldn't get a running game going. Few can against the Titans. And the Titans are what the Titans are. You could pass on them. You can't run on them. And if you keep it close, they're going to scare you. That's exactly what happened here. Ravens go to 4-2, and two, Titans 2-4. Two and four. Yeah, you want to talk about ho-hum as far as scoring and no real electricity, right? Um, although John Harbaugh did say after the game, in, in reference to Lamar Jackson, how he played one of the most courageous games I've ever seen and said that he is not afraid, um, talking about how, you know, and basically that's a glowing review, right, for him. And that's to be expected, I guess, from your head coach when you when you get kind of a grinded out 24-16 win. But, I mean, it's just, I mean, the Titans, despite the fact that Derrick Henry had that touchdown run, uh, they just couldn't get anything going offensively. They just flat out couldn't. And, uh, uh, you know, Jackson, the, the numbers don't, aren't exactly – monstrous through the air but but he had a key 62 yards on the ground that was that was big for them and it helped him share the spotlight right tommy barton he was right there with the guy who kicked six for six from uh with with his magical foot and of course that's justin tucker for the uh baltimore ravens 
Last one up, Vikings, Bears. Vikings beat the Bears uh, in Chicago. I said it last night. I, I should have should have or or last week. I should have put all my money in the world. The Bears weren't aren't winning. They won one game in a year. You think they're winning this game? Vikings go in. They win this game, 19-13. Ugly, gross. Bears are down to their number three running back. Um, Bears now might have lost Justin Fields. Kirk Cousins, 181 yards and a touchdown. Doesn't matter. Got it done. Vikings trying to save any semblance of a season that they do have. Uh, the Bears are just kind of looking at that number one overall pick. Uh, next week, Vikings are off, uh, if I'm correct. No, no, where are the Vikings? Oh, no, no, they, we talked about it. They play Monday night. Bears take on the Raiders. We touched on that game. That'll be interesting. I, I don't think either one of these teams are um, really a threat or enough. We shouldn't even be wasting our breath with them. But we can waste our breath with tomorrow night's game. Cowboys, Chargers. This is going to be a good one. Look, the Chargers are off of a bye week, and the Cowboys are 3-2. and two. We have to look at this game as people expect the Cowboys to bounce back. They were rolling right along. Then they got just exposed by the Niners. But I disagree. I look at the this Dallas team and I go, they played the New York Giants and Daniel Jones. They played the New York Jets and Zach Wilson in his first start of the year. Then they played Romeo Dobbs and lost. They played Mac Jones, okay? That's the quarterbacks they played. They finally played Brock, Brock Purdy and got blown out. Now they take on the best quarterback that they've played all year, and that's Justin Herbert, guys. And, and the Chargers are off of a bye week. I look at the Chargers as maybe the most talented roster in the NFL. The only thing holding them back is a numbskull for a head coach, which he can lose games, and they creatively lose a lot of games. Justin Herbert has MVP numbers right now, but he's got a knucklehead for a coach. Mike McCarthy isn't exactly a brain surgeon, but he's a much better coach. So what do you go with here? Do you go with the talent, the better quarterback, the team that's rested, and the home team? Or do you go with the coaching advantage? And I think that's the only advantage they have. By the way, the Chargers are also getting back Austin Eckler in this game. I think there's going to be some points scored. I don't love going over a 52 number, which the over-under has reached 52. But I think there's going to be some points scored. We know that the Cowboys are, are claiming they have a good defense. I'm not convinced. Not with the quarterbacks that they've faced. Call me unconvinced. I think that you could run on them a little, but I think you can throw especially intermediate and slant routes, which Herbert does well. With all that said, I have a hard time putting my money on a Brandon Staley-led team because I've seen it go up in smoke time and time again because he is a bad coach. I'm not sure if I said he's a bad coach, Chris. You have said it, and you would be right, Tom Barton, when you say that. He's not even like an overrated coach. He's just like, uh, you know, shouldn't even be rated as a head coach, but you look at these two teams, right, going to this matchup, and you talked about uh, who do you give the edge to. I mean, it's it is tough to kind of even look at it. Uh, I would probably lean to the Los Angeles Chargers here because they're getting you know so many key players on both sides of the football back. Obviously, the Justin Herbert injury, right, with the fractured middle middle finger on his non-throwing hand, uh, it should not be as big of a factor as far as him trying to deal with that coming back from that injury. You talked about Austin Eckler, obviously having him back in the mix, and, of course, uh, Durbin James also back on the defensive side of things for the Chargers. You know, Eckler had that 117-yard game in the season opener against Miami and has been out for the last three games with an ankle injury. That's really hurt the Chargers, and I think it's a big part why they're 2-2 two and two right now sitting there. And, uh, you know, James had that hamstring injury uh, uh, in Minnesota back on September 24th. 
and then he was inactive against uh, against the uh, against the Raiders in L.A. Uh, the following week. So I kind of lean towards that. Yeah, I mean, I guess Dallas should be motivated because they got their backsides waxed the last time out, and uh, maybe maybe it's good for them, Tommy, to get an extra day to have the shock wear off of that just absolute blitzing that they took at the hands of the San Francisco 49ers. But, uh, I mean, I take a look at this, and, uh, and you know, look, the Cowboys had that, that loss that was surprising. That was 28-16 to against the Cardinals back on September 24th. And I think this could be, you know, some it could be a lot along the same lines in this – football game from a gameplay standpoint. I, I'm taking a look, a hard look at the Chargers in this tilt to be able to uh, to handle things, especially from a defensive standpoint, getting James back against this Dallas Cowboys offense. And uh, and so I, I absolutely think that uh, it's interesting as well too, Tommy. A interesting note. Chargers offensive coordinator, right? Kellen Moore faces his former team for the first time. He was, of course, eight seasons in Dallas as a player and a coach from 2015 to 2022, the last four years as an offensive coordinator might not only be some motivation, but a knowledge advantage for Los Angeles in this game. Yeah, those are good points. It seems like everything is coming together for the Chargers. Money's coming in on the Cowboys, though. Well, doesn't it always? <laughs> you know, doesn't, doesn't it always? All right, guys. Chris, let's, uh, let's take a breath, okay? The NFL is consuming our brains as it should. It's Sunday night as it should. But we had an ALCS, right? We got some, some playoff games tomorrow. So let's dive into what we watched tonight. I know that you were on the Astros, and, and it was a weird, strange game. Two prolific offenses. Uh, yes, Montgomery and Verlander are good pitchers. They kind of did their job. But both of these teams have had bullpen issues. 2 nothing Texas win. The Astros are shut out at home in the playoffs. How shocking was that for you? And looking at tomorrow, it's a quick turnaround, right? I mean, it's a 430 game. It's a quick turnaround. And now they got to go face Avaldi, who, who had his own right, a, a quite a, a successful Cy Young type season for a while there before he went down. And they're throwing Valdez, who is a gas can this year, was removed from the rotation. Hasn't looked all that much better in his last three or four starts. I mean, to me, Houston's facing 0-2 and staring it right in the face. Yeah, Tommy, no question. You have to give Jordan Montgomery a whole lot of credit for outdueling Justin Verlander, a guy who's never lost a game one that he started in in uh, the postseason. And and also, obviously, it's big that you get Tavares getting that two-run lead with that solo home run in the fifth. But I'll toss this guy out there, Tommy, and get your take. Evan Carter, right? This guy, a rookie, just turned 21 on August 29th. He's a double, scored in the second, made you know two just outstanding plays defensively out in left field. He has been solid all postseason long, a postseason, by the way, that the Rangers have not lost a, a game yet. And this guy didn't even make his major league debut until September 8th. I was having visions, Tommy, of a, like Jim Abbott back in the back in the 90s, right? Where like he pitched for Michigan and then it seemed like it seemed like 2 weeks later, Tommy, he was pitching at Yankee Stadium and uh for New York. I mean, it was uh it was impressive to say the least to see that uh uh you know, Evan Carter was out there making such a huge impact at such a young age for this Texas Ranger team. 
yeah, he, he's he's fantastic. What's crazy is that you know anybody that plays fantasy knew this kid was coming up, knew how good he was going to be. Not that he would be this impactful, um, uh, but but that he. I want to say sort of outshined, uh, you know, Corey Seager that uh, uh, might win the MVP, right? Aldolis Garcia, uh, who, who's right up there. I mean, you know, he outshined just about everybody. So he's got massive talent. Montgomery looked great. I, I mean, he looked absolutely fantastic. Now you have Evaldi. I'm going on a limb here, and I know that that people are going to sit back and they're going to go, look, um, you know, Houston has all the pressure on them, obviously. You look at the 0-2 hole. But I'm going to go out there and say, I think Texas has some pressure on them tomorrow. And here's why. You know how good Houston can be. You know the championship mentality of Houston. Texas has also gone through the ringer this year, late in the year, where every time they thought they were up, here comes Chapman to blow it. Here comes Will Smith to blow it. I think they're in a position where they almost have to win because they're so used to getting losses after they knew their win. They blew more games in the bullpen, blew more games than anybody all year. I look at the game tomorrow and I go, well, yeah, sure, everyone's going to say Houston has to win. But if Houston loses that game, I think Houston picks themselves up, says, hey, we're a championship team. You know, well, we might be down 0-2, but we're not done. If Texas loses tomorrow, I think they start going, oh, man, we had the lead. Oh, we had a chance to put them away. I know we're going home, but we just spent our two big bullets, right? They're two, they're two one-two pitchers. Here we go. I have a feeling that Texas needs this game more than, if not at least much uh, as much as Houston does tomorrow. And, Tommy, I'm picking up what you're putting down, but let me add a little bit of tidbits to that as well, too. You look at the Houston Astros from an offensive standpoint, one through nine, they're, they're as good as anybody in baseball when they are clicking on all cylinders. I don't expect – the Astros in game two and in the rest of the series, quite frankly, to have a situation in which your guys one through four go two for 12, right? With five strikeouts. uh, And you've got, you know, Alvarez striking out three times in a game. I just don't see that happening. I think that, yes, that Texas was able to kind of get the jump on the Astros in this series, obviously with getting a, a shutout win like this, but I fully expect the Astros to find a way from an offensive standpoint to kind of get things going. And and they talked about that after the game. Alex Bregman was was basically owning it, saying, "You look, we just didn't do enough tonight offensively." And they were just furious, right, Tommy, that they did not uh, give Justin Verlander any support whatsoever. That was a thing that they were just they were so fully upset about was that you know we didn't give our guy, you know, our ace on the hill, any help whatsoever. And the result is a, is a one nothing deficit right now in the series. So, I mean, we'll see if Houston is able to kind of right the ship there. But uh, that was not – that's not Houston Astros' offensive baseball, what took place tonight against the Rangers. What about uh, Arizona-Philadelphia? Uh, Philly is red hot. Philly's on fire. Philly's the fun team. Philly's the team to, it's easy to root for. Philly's the superstar team. Philly's the team that everyone's already just going, hey, you know what? They're going to the World Series. Yeah, that's it. Meanwhile, Arizona is the plucky team, right? Arizona is the team that you go, wow, I, I, I didn't know this team was going to come out of nowhere. Yeah, the, the, I don't know who this Corbin Carroll guy was. Oh, man, where did he come from? Meanwhile, a lot of us did know. Uh, oh, Zach Gallon, wait, he's an ace? He's an actual ace. Oh, okay, well. Ketel Marte, we're doing that with him. Christian Walker hit 30 home runs this year. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. The line is 170, minus 170 for Philly. 
You could get Philly at more than two to one to win the series. There's no faith in Arizona among you, as you called it before, sharps, squares, whoever. There's no faith in Arizona. And I'm going, man, I don't know if I'm taking this game. I really don't. I still don't know. But I am so tempted to take Zach Allen at plus six, plus 160. Look, Zach Wheeler's good, and I don't want to bet against Zach Wheeler. And that's kind of why I'm hesitant here. But you're getting 160 back with a fun Arizona team that is playing. You want to talk about no pressure, free and loose. They have their ace on the mound. Gallon already faced this team, shut him down for two runs, okay? Gallon has not allowed more than two runs in each of his last four starts. Gallon had 17 wins on the season. He's going to get Cy Young votes. I don't know. I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, if you get it to the sixth or seventh inning and it's a, it's a close game or a tie game, don't you feel good about Arizona just going, hey, we, we might throw down a bunt on you. We're going to take the extra base. They're a fun, plucky team as well. They just kind of went up against Philly, which is, is a little rough for them. Yeah, but it's a big yeah, key but- to me the kind of resurrection that is Zach Wheeler, right? A guy that was oft injured with the New York Mets, of course. Uh, you know, and he basically uh, has it was a guy that had never been an all-star really up until recently, never been a guy that could go 200 innings, was, was thought to be someone who was going to essentially be like, a you know, a second-tier kind of guy that could eat innings, maybe get a few strikeouts and be maybe a number three type of starter. What has he done? Oh, he's only just blossomed into the ace of this staff, right? And Look, I love the likes of Aaron Nola. I like I like even Suarez as well too, and 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 all three of those guys all pitched like aces in in, in the seven playoff starts this year. But I think it's justified, Tommy, that Philadelphia is getting all this love. Um, I mean, you look at that core with 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 you know Nick Castellanos, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, and then of course the two Vegas guys and Bryce and Stott and 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 Bryce Harper. You know, I mean, you you give the offense probably the bulk of the credit, but people kind of sleep on the Phillies from a pitching standpoint. And with respect to Arizona, you just talked about it as kind of like the uh, you know the Robbie Dangerfield, I guess, of uh, of Major League Baseball, not just the National League this year in the playoffs, but probably of of all the teams in both the American and National League that made it into the playoffs. And look, it's kind of justified when you take a look at uh, their record going into the NLCS being 84 and 78. I mean, it kind of makes sense to me. But, uh, you know, Zach Gallen is, is a guy that uh, could absolutely do the same thing that the te- and be a, a big key to what the Texas Rangers did tonight against the Houston Astros. So uh, while I kind of lean towards Philadelphia in this tilt and, and, uh, and you know, I think the Joe Girardi situation is kind of underplayed as well, too. I mean, he was fired in, you know, 2022 uh, when Joe Girardi was fired back in 2022 and, and Thomason was promoted to the interim manager. You know, I mean, the, the guy, uh, excuse me, I, meant, I just meant uh, Thomason, not Joe Girardi. Thomason, you know, uh, I mean, what did he do? All he did was lead the Phillies to, to the freaking World Series, right, and gets gets the extension. And now he's got the Phillies on, on the cusp of back-to-back nationally crowned. So, uh, you know, I, and, and they were talking about retirement was out, of, out, of, out, of, out of, was out the window as well, too. So, um, I mean, the, the whole dynamic that is, you know, the whole Thomason, Joe Girardi thing, I think, is interesting of how this kind of is all shook, shaken out. And I think that that plays a part as well, too. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's smart to go with Philly. It makes sense to go with Philly. I get why everyone's going with Philly, but I just think it's dangerous. I think Arizona could be that dangerous team. And it's kind of the same thing with Arizona. 
Seems to me everyone's going with Arizona tomorrow on the back. Uh, I mean, uh, at Houston tomorrow on the bounce back, bounce, bounce, ba- bounce back. Evaldi scares me. I think we're going to have two real good games tomorrow. And, and you know, you're sitting here and you're kind of like trying to reset. Okay, who do you like? Everyone's going Philly-Houston. I, I mean, that's what it was before time. Texas showed something today, and it wouldn't shock me if Zach Allen kind of stepped up and showed something tomorrow at all. Absolutely not. I, I think we have a a good pitcher's duel in Game 2. I think in Game 1, we're going to see some some a little bit more offense than the 2 nothing that we got. Let's just say that. I mean, Evaldi might pitch a gem. I have no confidence in Valdez at all. And we might be looking at Texas up 2-0 and then all of a sudden, you know, is Houston going to be able to garner that, hey, championship mentality? The whole world's rooting against them. <laughs> you know, I mean, we know that. Uh, nobody likes likes the Astros. So it'll be a, a fun baseball game. By the way, uh, the game starts uh, just before 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So you can watch, you can watch the Rangers-Astros without it interfering with Chargers-Dallas and then kind of have the remote on flip so you could go back to Gallon-Wheeler-Chargers-Dallas. Hey, Tommy, let me bounce this off you real quick. What do you think about this whole dynamic that is Bryce Harper and Philadelphia and that city? It is kind of fascinating to me. Look, we're here in Vegas, of course. Bryce Harper is a favorite son, and he's always been looked at as kind of outspoken, right? Kind of boisterous, kind of arrogant. At times can be abrasive. But he has really been embraced by that city. Of course, he's looked at like a blue-collar city, and that's the kind of way he plays with his heart on his sleeve, and that's his kind of mentality. I just want to get your thoughts on him and the whole love fest that is Bryce Harper and the city of Philadelphia. It makes me sick to my stomach. You know why? Why? Because he should have been a Yankee. That's why. That's why. He wanted to come to the Yankees. He's a Yankee fan. Yankees would have loved him. He would have embraced it. I love Bryce Harper, man. There's not a lot of guys in the sport. that. First of all, I don't I, I don't like outrageous, boisterous guys. But I, there's not a lot of guys in sports that you watch grow up and become something different. He was the bat-flipping, you know, uh, kind of, we'll say, showboaty type of guy. But listen... He had every praise heaped upon him at like 16 years old or before that. He was young back then. We have watched Bryce Harper grow up in front of our eyes with every expectation that if you are not a Hall of Famer, your career is a failure. Guess what? He's a Hall of Famer. And his career is anything but a failure, right? His career is on the trajectory of something that we barely ever see. And we should enjoy it. I like that he grew up and he's not really that outrageous guy anymore. Now he's about community and people are embracing him. He threw his helmet into the stands, you know, when he was mad about the 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 call, went over to the kids, signed it, and put a, a Bible verse in there. I mean, this yep. is the Bryce Harper that Philly knows. I I'm sick to my stomach that Philly embraced him because New York should have embraced him, but I love it for Bryce Harper. I like that we watched him grow up in front of the media and in front of our eyes. And I love that he's on a big stage and doing big things on a big stage. You know what makes me sick, though, Tommy, is seeing my former Detroit Tigers just sprinkled all over these rosters. One of those former Tigers, of course, Nick Castellanos, who, again, has resurrected his career there in Philadelphia and has been a key cog there. Obviously, when I think about the likes of Max Scherzer in Texas with the Rangers and, of course, Justin Verlander in Houston with the Astros, it's tough, Tommy. It's it's tough to see guys who starred for your team go to other teams and have success. It's brutal, brother. Yeah, it really is. Or or what could have been. Brian Cashman didn't even pick up the phone. And, by the way, Harper has no problem telling us about that. 
You're not telling Yankee fans. Man, he didn't even call me. Ah, uh, you know, but Cashman still has a job. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. Thank you, Chris. Chris, where can we hear you this week? Yeah, appreciate it, Tommy, and thanks to everything Heatwave Sports, to Tim Ugglesby, Tom Barton, and Mateo as well. You can find me on X, formerly Twitter, at Christian Wynn and CWin77 on Facebook and Instagram across the board and all over the airwaves here in Las Vegas Sports Radio. Guys, go check me out, TomBartonSports.com. Like I said, look, I, I was 7-0 on the on the NFL coming into this weekend. Uh, 0-2-1, but I got an NFL play up for tomorrow. I have two baseball plays up for tomorrow. Sign up at TomBartonSports.com right now. We are up massively for the year. We are up huge, huge, huge for the season. So come and jump on board. It is TomBartonSports.com. You also go check me out, Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube, Tom Barton Sports all over the web, anywhere that you go. It's TomBartonSports.com. Thank you again to Mateo, Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby. We'll be back next week. We're off next Saturday because of the VGK. So we'll see you next Sunday for another Overreaction Sunday right here on Heat Wave Sports. Have a very good night, everybody.